With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today a roast as dark as the night perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting don't mind the red eyes he's just trying to warn you of the bridge the bridge finally from the caffeine addled brains of spring jack coffee and last podcast on the left we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> It's Hal Jordan. <laughs> I'm not Iron Man. I'm kind of like him, though. But uh, the DC version, sort of, maybe. And I want to create a leprechaun using my ring. Oh, he's dancing. And he's green, so it makes sense. Now I'm going to create a fuck you machine gun. Yeah, it's green, which is very cool. Uh, <laughs> Hal Jordan over here. And I'm a what wacky, a- crazy guy. It's me, your cool 90s Green Lantern. That other guy who just talked, he's dead. He's the most dead. We chucked him into the center of the sun for being a dumb piece of shit. <laughs> and he was also an alcoholic who watched his family die. Whatever. <laughs> wow, that's a good I'm start. a cool artist. And I love my hot girlfriend who's definitely not going to get stuffed into a refrigerator. <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> the thing I said wouldn't happen happened in only my third appearance. Anyway, I'll be important later because 90s nostalgia is profitable. And today we are talking about the Green Lantern, a very interesting, different kind of superhero. A 80 space years old, Holden. We're celebrating 80 years of a guy with a ring who does stuff. There you go. Outlived Betty White. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, we're talking about Green Lantern, but of course, we're also by Green Lantern. Are we talking about Hal Jordan? Are we talking about John Stewart? No, not the Daily Show guy, but the uh, black guy that they based a bunch of that became Green Lantern later on. Are we talking about you know all these different lanterns from all over the world? Are we talking about the planet that does not socialize? We're talking about we're talking about a ton of different things because that they're all encapsulated in what could be a Green Lantern. This Green Lantern Corps, this uh, this gr- this law enforcement agency in space, is a fascinating concept and just something just so different from 
a lot of the other heroes in the DCU and the MCU. And I think that that's why, and, and over time, this whole idea of that they're this awesome like police force in space, you know, and cops, everyone loves them these days, right? Um, but over, I think it's just such an interestingly developed character over the years. And I, I, I feel, I was just saying this right before the episode, I kind of feel like the most interesting thing about Green Lantern is the promise of what you can of the stories w- of that you can tell with with this character and this hero, and also with just the very interesting developments even over the pl- past like couple decades of what they've been able to do with the character based on all of the uh, lore and I was going to say the requirements of the character, but there are weird requirements that other heroes don't really deal with, like having to recharge the ring using the lantern and what is possible with the ring and the fact that he has to wear a ring or he's not really powerful in any sort of way. Well, it's so one of the things that um, I think gets lost in the sauce. If you are a relatively knowledgeable comic book nerd, the, the, the traditional wisdom is 1940s Green Lantern. Alan Scott Green Lantern was a magic based character and he's a legacy character. He's still around. Uh, they've done a lot of interesting things with him, and in the 80s and 90s, he was the one of the few characters who could hurt Superman because he was mystical woo-woo magic. While Green, while Hal Jordan, the 60s Green Lantern, the Silver Age Green Lantern, was high-flying science fiction. Mm. He was more grounded. He went to space, or not, you know, grounded in science. I'm trying to say, um, but really. Green Lantern stories are magical stories. The very idea that a big planet powers a lamp, that powers a ring, that grants the wielder the ability to do anything is a magical idea. And the and that it's things are powered by emotions and that he can travel between different universes. Like there's no difference between a Green Lantern story and a Merlin story, except instead of uh, coming from the land of demons, his monsters come from the antimatter universe of Quard. Like, it's all kind of these larger-than-life, almost unbridled, unhinged stories that are told through these characters. And in the center of it is your everyday Joe. Hal Jordan in John's, you know, Hal Jordan, fighter pilot who can't get his life together. Uh, John Stewart, an architect, a uh, former Marine, a black man across various ages where it was uh, tough for that. Uh, not like now, though. Oh, yeah. I, I bet I, we figured it out as a site. Space cops. Everybody loves them. <laughs> uh, even Guy Gardner, this like rough and tumble, uh, redheaded. Uh, fuck face. I don't know. Avatar of Boston. Sure, we can call him that. started as a like fledgling uh, gym school teacher. These very human characters, these very relatable uh, avatars through which all this insane reality bending cosmic scale adventures are happening to is very compelling. And the way that this character has been so like is he's almost, he's a completely different creature than your average superhero. He is like the opposite of Spider-Man in terms of like his, his daily rounds are like hopping between galaxies you know his his problem isn't the shocker the guy with lug with uh, gloves that zap you his problem is uh the anti monitor wants to eat the souls of the universe like it's just the the scale is so big in these stories 
that it's, you know, almost any story that involves a Green Lantern inevitably ends up being a Green Lantern story. Because once you introduce a universe-wide space army, yeah. it's going to come up. Um, as a kid, Holden, uh-huh. I loved Green Lantern. Oh, okay. I was about to ask. I was like, let's get to the gush. I... I... Uh, I please feel free because mine is a lot less. Uh, definitely doesn't go back to when I was a kid. I'll here's the that. thing. Here's the thing. Classic schoolyard, uh, small childhood conversation. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you have? Ah, yeah. One kid would be like, I want to fly. Another kid would be like, I want to be strong. One nerdy kid might be like, I want to be Spider Man. And me, the king of the nerds, was like. I want to be green. I want to have. I want Green Lantern's power ring. And half the kids in the circle would be like, "What are what? What are his powers?" And I'd be like, "Well, he can fly. He can form impenetrable force fields. He can shoot lasers. Yeah. He can form any construct from any Literally material. Anything he can think of." <laughs> uh, and I didn't even realize this before we researched. Uh, in the Silver Age. It was not even limited to make stuff with green power. He could literally just do anything. Control people's minds, rewire wow. circuitry, convert uh, materials into other materials, change the states of gases and liquids. He could literally do anything as long as he focused and like asked his ring to do it. And also the thing, uh, there was no color yellow involved because of an impurity, Holden, a <laughs> yellow impurity. And half the and so whenever I would say Green Lantern, I would get groans. I'd be like, "That doesn't count." It's such a and then I would have been off in the off to the side, by the way, with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth, and I'd have been like, "Bitches, I want to be Spawn." And everybody <laughs> like, "Oh, right, get out of here!" I'm like, I got chains for days. I got chains for days. Look at me. I cut myself bleeding last night. Everyone's like, "All right, cut yourself bleeding. Get out of here." What I'm trying to say is one of the. It's almost hilarious that the Green Lantern power fantasy is so much near omnipotence yeah. that the fact that he's an avatar of courage is, I've said the word avatar a lot of times today. Uh, the fact that he represents That's courage. That's we're all and, excited for Avatar 2 and 3 really that am. are still in production right really now. Really am. It's been almost a decade of, of production on those. I films. honestly I think it will wait. bring about world peace. Everything <laughs> like I know things are tough right now, but once those Avatar movies comes out, like it's all oh, yeah. going to be gravy. I can't wait to just feel how angry that uh, James Cameron is just <laughs> through the film. I just I could feel him screaming at uh, all of his underlings. So what I'm trying to say is, if you are the kind of kid that just is weak and scared and wishes for all the powers and no fear whatsoever, you are drawn to Green Lantern. And that makes him a fascinating hero because he is less of a superhero and more of a sort of God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to it. And then as time went on, especially starting with the Silver Age, if you were drawn to more sci-fi uh, heavy stories, you know, you have Silver Silver Surfer, you've got Lantern, you've got all those that that those are the characters I think one would gravitate towards just because you're also really into this other corner of things. And then uh, I think as time goes on, and for my gush, I would say I really didn't give a flying f f bomb mm -hmm. about Mister Lantern, sir. Uh, for a long time, I have no idea why. I literally couldn't tell you why. Uh, I just was more into chains, bro. I like Ghost Rider and I like Spawn. I like dudes with chains and like skeleton faced men. You know I, mean, I mean, in the you know, in the post Watchmen uh nineties, they literally like 
borked the Green Lantern character so hard trying to give yeah, him an edge that, too. that they had to like reboot him. And so Hal Jordan, the most common Green Lantern, the most iconic Green Lantern, wasn't even like around yeah. when you were at your prime comics age. In a big way. And so for me, my first experience with Green Lantern truly in comics was uh, Blackest Night, which is a really fun, big epic DC story involving like zombies involving like all the different Green Lantern Corps factions the Yellow Lanterns and I think there were red ones as well and every the whole Roy G. Biv whole, got a Lantern all Corps of them. they all got a Lantern Corps and it was like really interesting I was like oh this is like not what I thought Lantern was I didn't realize that there were the different colored factions and this this big you know it was this big epic sweeping thing where they're bringing back heroes from the dead and I'm looking at zombie Batman and I'm like this is pretty cool bro and uh it's funny now going back to it, you know, I was really way more into fantasy uh, stories when it came to like uh, bi- fiction, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, especially that kind of fiction um, and really wasn't into actively was not into sci fi. And since that time, I found Dune and all these other things that now I'm enjoying Lantern way more, especially, you know, I read Earth One Volume One this week and uh, we'll talk about that later. But uh, you know, and and found that to just be like really, really good, fascinating, dark sci-fi, and I didn't expect that from Green Lantern. And so now I like want to keep devouring it. I want to, I want to continue to enjoy some of the bigger Green Lantern stories. But that that's the other thing we get with a hero like this, right, Jake? What you just mentioned with the bungling of the character to try to make him edgy in the '90s with a character like Green Lantern that's been around since the Golden Age, you inevitably always end up telling the story of the evolution of comic books and comic book films, mm-hmm. right? But for Lantern, sometimes that's for better or for worse. I think he got some really interesting treatment from, obviously, Alan Moore. uh, And he took that character and did stuff with him that, you know, we didn't think possible. And then uh, then had really much better story arcs, I think. And um, uh, really great writers come in and and artists and take control of the character later in his life cycle. Uh, But then also... We will be talking about the film that tells the story of how a comic book movie can go so wrong. And honestly, that Green Lantern film may have been like the first big curse on the DCU. You know, this troubled DCU because they had they did not start poorly. They, you know, they had Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. make those Batman movies, right? And then on the other side of things, you've got uh, on at the MCU, you've got Iron Man, you've got them putting together this whole concept with the Avengers and all these movies feeding into each other. And Green Lantern comes out in 2011 and just putter, putter, putters. And since then, we got a lot of putter, putter from the DCU. And only just now does it seem like they're finding their footing. Because of the Snyder Cut, one of the best movies of 2021. I agree. So happy I gave four hours to Mr. (laughs) Snyder. Over that three-day period with a baby in my arms. Uh, yes. But, but, you know, the newer Suicide Squad is really great. Uh, some of their stuff they're doing on uh, HBO Max is really cool, including, the, honestly, the Snyder Cut. So, yeah, I think that, you know, inevitably you end up telling the story of, you know, 
the history of comics uh, and everything like that because, you know, you end up having to say, oh, Green Lantern went away for a while because Heroes went away for a while and they started telling more like horror and pulp action type stories and then, hey, magically he came back because the Comics Code Authority came back and so they had to turn back to superheroes but he got a redesign and, you know, and and they went into sci-fi more because of a certain editor over at DC who really loved sci-fi who's honestly one of the biggest sci-fi nerds I think I've ever found out about uh the uh that guy we'll talk about soon you know and then and then yeah i and really really especially learning about the studio interference <laughs> on that movie and every every little thing they did to just do the wrong thing when it comes to the treatment of a superhero movie right uh it it just tells it tells a fascinating tale and i'm excited to tell it to you guys today in brightest day in blackest night no evil shall escape my sight Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. Punch that kid in the stomach. (laughs) (laughs) I'm back in the schoolyard with you, Jay. (laughs) Yes, of course, Green Lantern, the name of a group of superheroes published by DC Comics that using magical rings work as a sort of intergalactic law enforcement agency known as the Green Lantern Corps. The first Green Lantern we met was Alan Scott, created back in 1940 by artist Martin Nodell with the scripting aid of writer Bill Finger. Bill Finger, by the way, classically uh, uh, known as the like missing link of the creation of Batman, got totally shafted by DC, it seems, in all these ways. It was really one of the biggest creative minds for DC and like died never getting any credit. There's a documentary about him, I believe, and how fucked over he got by DC, essentially. Uh, But yeah, he was heavily involved in the creation of Lantern. But let's start with Martin Nodell. Martin Nodell went to school in Chicago, and after graduating from the Chicago Academy of Fine Arts, he went to New York City with both an interest in the theater and in art. Unfortunately, the art folks said he should go into theater, and the theater folks said he should go into art. So he was at a bit of a dead end. And while there, he saw these newfangled things called comic books, literally on the mom-and-pop newsstands in the city, he uh, he saw that they seemed to be getting popular and, and noticed that maybe he should try his hand at it. Now, one of the really interesting things is, you know, we're going to see he ends up using a pseudonym for his early uh, work on comic books. And uh, it was kind of funny, like, you know, in Japan, uh, they use pseudonyms for the early video games because they didn't want their employees getting snapped up by headhunters. It was kind of the uh, opposite in America for comic books early on. Uh, they didn't want to use the pseudonym because they uh, they didn't want to be associated with uh, comic books because it was, like, cheap to... Uh, to uh, a lot of folks. And in his case, what's hilarious is, you know, most people you learn about, they started out in advertising mm-hmm. and then end up in the creative field they want to be in. Well, he was different. He actually was like, man, I really want to get into advertising, but I guess I have to start with these dumb comic books first. And then eventually I'll get that sweet, sweet ad money. So he went under a fake name so that he, uh, he wouldn't uh, be associated with them, uh, with other industries. Obviously one of the big fun facts about the creation of the 1940s, uh, Green Lantern is that Mr. Nodell did make it into, uh, the world of advertising and among his most popular mm-hmm. creations, uh, under that work is the Exxon tiger. Oh yeah. Uh, get a tiger in your tank, buddy, uh, with <laughs> precious, precious gasoline. Mm. And of course, <laughs> 
Poppin' Fresh, what? also colloquially known as the Pillsbury Doughboy, no was way. a Martin Nodell creation. I love Pillsbury Doughboy. That's amazing. Yeah, he. Uh, so to get his job at DC, man, I'm about to tell probably my favorite part of the whole story here is keep right listening up though after he tells it though there's other fun <laughs> things in there you sons the of rest bitches. of the episode will be dog shit we both have <laughs> talked about how nothing's good after this first part so honestly check out some other podcasts i mean there's really oh. good stuff out there last podcast the left is great but even if you want to go outside of network i'm listening to behind the bastards right now it's pretty fun <laughs> anyways uh <laughs> Uh, he puts some samples together. He goes into predecessor of DC Comics, all American comics, uh, and they told him they needed a new superhero. So, hey, if you come up with a good one, you can have a job here. And then he literally just, on his way home from the subway, this reminds me, by the way, especially like on the subway, I got so many flashbacks to like on my way to a sketch comedy writers meeting and uh, and just not having any ideas and literally just looking at things around me and come tr- trying to just come up with some random ass idea he does exactly that because his whole thing is I've got to come up with something immediately or some other guy's going to beat me out for this gig. So um, I, I need to pull, literally pull something out of my ass. Um, and he pulled something out and it wasn't shit, which is surprising. But it was kind of as random as Lantern does seem a little bit on its face, this Lantern, this ring. He's on his way home on the subway. He's brainstorming and he said, I had friends who liked opera. And this is New York, so they played a lot of various operas. And I thought, well, if this is interesting to them, I might want to come up with some idea. One of the first things I thought of was the Wagnerian Ring Cycle. Uh, it's a cycle of four operas. Uh, I thought it would be something that could be used one way or another. This opera uh, is very long. It takes place over four nights to fully perform it, and it centers around a magic ring that grants the power to rule the world, which ends up finding its way into the hands of a mortal. Yada, yada, yada. Everyone cries. It's Everyone dies, right? It's an opera. It's like, all right, ring. Got it. Magic ring. So when I got to the subway station, which was four or five blocks away, I was going home to Brooklyn, and I tried working out some ideas as I got to the station. As I entered the subway, there were a number of people standing around, and there was a train man in the subway station on the trough of the tracks, and he was waving a red lantern, which meant, hold the train, don't come in. When he checked the tracks, he waved a green lantern. The green lantern meant come in. As the train would come in, he would get out of the way, get behind a pole and stay there. And that was the end of his part in Green Lantern. But when that Green Lantern meant something to me, I just wrote it down, the Green Lantern. Then he starts putting the pieces together and he has this idea in his head, uh, quote, pictures of a meteor falling into a small Chinese town that became the method wherein a Green Lantern was built in. And uh, he came up with the costumes, uh, shoes, Uh, influenced by Greek mythology. This is all uh, his theater background. He came from the theater, and uh, like I said, he he went into the city and he either wanted a job in theater or a job in art, and he was kind of pushed between the two and couldn't really find his bearings. So he still loved like Greek plays and things like that. Uh, Listener at home, by the way, this early, I'm starting to get into the design of the costume. You need to look up the original Green Lantern costume. Uh, How would you describe it, Jake, this first uh, outing of Green Lantern? Uh, One of the key things that differentiates uh, classic Green Lantern from the Silver Age Green Lantern is uh, the costume is bright red with a billowy (laughs) shirt. Yes. uh, A giant collar. Uh Uh-huh. Like a, like a, like just like a pointy collar going up past his forehead. Yeah, like a Dracula collar, yeah. He is 
blonde. But other than that, like a domino mask, a ring on his finger, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's not necessarily uh, doesn't really stand out from anything besides besides like a normal superhero. And a lot of those Greek operatic theater influences were all over the place. Uh, in early comics, uh, Wonder Woman, like we talked about, was full of like sandals and and uh, yeah. Mediterranean influences. The Flash at the time, also from all American comics, the Golden Age Flash had that Hermes helmet. You know, you were working with a lot of theater tropes, all these larger than life figures, because again, there were no superhero cliches to draw. Yeah, and, and but there were swashbuckle film cliches, and that's where you get the bu- uh, billowy shirt because it's just like anything now. Like in the '90s, what was cool? Mm-hmm. Chains and like more like of a gothic sensibility. You know, that was like what the cool kids were wearing. So those that showed up in leather jackets and almost BDSM type stuff. Um, that was what was cool in the edgy '90s, right? But back in the day, it was swashbuckling pirate movies. That was super cool to the kids, right? So they they would put that into the costume as well. It looks very, very different from um, you know, the the what A, what we would find cool today, B uh what we know as the Green Lantern costume. Uh for the record, just because I literally have a uh it's a fairly modern compulsion to just shit on anybody's legacy uh <laughs> through the lens of time. Uh, it should be noted a year before Green Lantern appeared in uh, All American Comics, there was a character from competitor Fawcett Comics called Diamond Jack, who had a magical ring with a mystic gem in the center given to him by Eastern mystics. Uh, Alan Scott's ring was originally forged from like an oil lamp by a Chinese mystic uh, that allowed him to shoot bolts of lightning fly through the air, and project constructs that were powered by his own willpower. Not saying he ripped anyone off. I'm just saying he might have. He might have. Another big thing was this recharge on the ring. That was an early... Uh, an early concept for the character in the Golden Age. He said it was also very important uh, to the whole idea, the whole scheme of things, that the ring be regenerated every 24 hours. So every 24 hours, it would be getting a very valuable start again. The ring, of course, recharged by touching Green Lantern. And at first, the ring only had had power over metals, which quickly evolved into being able to create whatever Green Lantern thinks of and power over all things except... Wood. Uh, initially, he could not have any power over anything that was wooden. So definitely the rules very different. And and the rules with Lantern change, I feel like, almost more than any other car- uh, hero I've, I've researched, right? Well, it's... Yeah. Um, so also he had his own oath, but it was... Uh, it didn't rhyme. It was just, uh, and I shall shed my light over dark evil, for dark things cannot stand the light, the light of the Green Lantern. Yes. Just no no ABAB rhyme scheme, terrible. Who needs it? Uh, I read a lot of these early comics, and one of the things that really strikes me is how little uh, Green Lantern actually uses his powers early on. He really Mm. is just kind of a two-fisted, justice, rough-and-tumble kind of character. His physicality takes way more precedence than like anything that he's doing with his powers. Um, he And the ways that he uses them are completely just like balls to the wall. There are no like set of standard protocols. There's no set limitations. At one point, he's like using the ring to walk through walls. Another time, he's using it to fly. Another time, he uses it to blind someone. 
temporarily <laughs> unless he uh, they admit they're guilty and then they'll magically be able to see again. It's uh, kind of, there's a lot of this stuff. I think uh, when we talked about the vision in our vision episode, where like these these old school, just like, I'm going to torture a bunch of guys in fedoras uh, with like just my limitless array of bullshit <laughs> was a very common theme in this uh, series. However, early on, in, like within issue one of the Green Lantern's uh, first spinoff uh, book, aside from the All-American Comics Anthology, is an essay by none other than Dr. William Moulton Marston. Holden, does that name ring familiar to you? It does, but why? He's the horny weirdo who created Wonder Woman. Yeah, I love that guy. I just mentioned BDSM, perfect timing. Honestly, go back and listen to our uh, Wonder Woman episode because the story of William Moulton Marston is incredible. Uh, on the fringes of psychology, just given a front row seat to the brains of uh, children in the 1930s and 40s. Incredible. But he uh, really lays in in a full uh, article in the pages of Green Lantern number one that, quote, willpower is the flame of the Green Lantern. That flame shall be yours if you develop willpower. And he's telling stories about uh, uh, stuff like... uh, A little girl who was afraid of thunder and lightning woke up frightened to death by a terrific storm. But instead of crying, she made herself get up and shut the window. She's a brave girl now about everything. All thanks to the power of willpower. Like it was really set up to be this morality tale. Um, He then goes on to list great moments in American willpower like George Washington at Valley Forge. They are really leaning into... uh, superheroes as a as a kind of parable for kids mm. in these early stories. Mm. It is absolutely important that uh you know Green Lantern whenever there is again guys in fedoras up to no good <laughs> cheating, Green Lantern shows up, waves his hands around and beats the fuck out of them with his fists. <laughs> uh it's so I'm I'm sorry, it just there's literally a, an excerpt in the Wilton in the Molten Marston uh article where the uh where they are like hey hope you like this article about willpower written by dr william marston our editorial advisor we suggest you show it to your parents (laughs) (laughs) like they're just trying to cover their asses because it's only a few years before the seduction of the innocent sets like the whole world against comic books yep totally with the wells fargo active cash credit card you can earn unlimited two percent cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. 
couple quick uh, hits on the oath. Um, he was really into this idea of the comet crashing down in China, which is what brings the ring down to Earth. And uh, there, so the uh, the oath of Lantern, that weird one that you said that doesn't rhyme or anything, that was created by him because he he was basing it on ancient Chinese incantations. It all relates to China. He was very interested in China. It was also revised uh, in the 40s to the one we know better in Brightest Day and Blackest Night. No evil shall escape my sight. Beware my power, Green Lantern's light. That uh, was revised uh, by Alfred Bester. Um, uh, who, yes, thank you, Mr. Bester. That's a much better oath than the original. Um, so now we get to Bill Finger. Bill Finger, before... Uh, Lantern, Bill Finger, was a major player in the creation of Batman, as I mentioned. Um, Bob Kane took most of the credit, but Finger, apparently, uh, it was later said, uh, I believe Kane himself admits uh, in his autobiography or, or in an interview that 50 to 75% of all the creativity in Batman uh, was attributed to Finger, yet he would end up dying poor and virtually unknown, did not get credit for a very long time. He was paired with Nodell to write the first Lantern story based on Nodell's synopsis and design he did most all of the writing, but the two did heavily consult with each other on every little bit of it. So it definitely was um, a kind of a co-written piece. So after six months of using the character at DC and various things, the two were asked to create a standalone series for the character. So we get Green Lantern number one released in the fall of 1941. The series ran for the entirety of World War II, and then the Golden Age faced its end with a general waning of the popularity of superheroes. The final issue of Green Lantern was number 38. Writer John Broom was hired to write Flash and Green Lantern comics during the Golden Age. This was some of his earliest comics work, and he would stay on board through the Silver Age writing Lantern stories, which took more of a sci-fi turn. We'll get to in just a second. Uh, and uh, that's a great fit for this guy. He was a big sci-fi fan in his own right. Nodell ends up uh, dropping the comics gigs, as Jake mentioned earlier. And uh, this was around 1947. He ends up getting into advertising. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Silver Age Lantern. Um, so we have established the ring. We've got the lantern. We've got the recharge thing. We've got uh, what else? Um, he's not really a space cop. Oath. We've got the oath. Um, but we're missing a lot of elements. We're missing the costume as we know it. We have willpower and fear. We got willpower and fear, yes, also as elements in the Golden Age. Um, but still, uh, so much of what we know as Green Lantern today it comes in the Silver Age. And that's in 1959, an editor named Julius Schwartz would revive the hero with the new alter ego, Hal Jordan, a test pilot who receives a ring and a lantern by a dying alien named Aben Sur, whose spaceship crash lands on Earth. So immediately, whoa, that's a ton of stuff that is now bog standard Green Lantern lore, mm -hmm. right? That's introduced two decades after the character first appeared, right? Yeah. Which is kind of fascinating. And, uh, and, and also, I think we generally know of Hal Jordan as the, like, OG kind of main Green Lantern, uh, even though it really was Alan Scott, uh, who will come into some stories later on. They, they do end up reusing him. But Hal Jordan, we've always kind of, feel like, know as, like, the original Green Lantern uh, kind of in, in the but, comics. But, you know, uh, U.S. aeronautics, uh, you know, the space race, uh, wartime technology, jets, these are... This is like the cutting edge of American science and technology at the time. So making him a test pilot makes him like one of the, you know, part of the American imagination. This, you know, Ferris aircraft is this like 
swinging, high-tech, super-secret company where they're developing the, the future planes and spaceships that'll be exploring the cosmos. And so, uh, you know, this is the, the right stuff era, making him a fighter pilot and make, or I'm sorry, a test pilot and making that, you know, someone who understands that, like, he's throwing his life away at any given point and any time and yet fearlessly does his job to the highest ability makes sense if you're looking for who is the most fearless and exciting American you can base your next character on. Quote, utterly honest and born without fear is the person that uh, Aben Sur is looking for when Hal, Hal Jordan gets the ring uh, and takes his place in the Green Lantern Corps, which is of also introduced in this early uh, incantation uh, in the Silver Age. Um, by, uh, Jake, do you consider yourself a nerd? I, I don't consider. Society has foisted <laughs> that label upon me. Jake, I have realized you and I, we are no mere nerds. No. Mm. Editor Julius Schwartz, who brought back Green Lantern, is the ultimate motherfucking nerd. Listen to this guy's rap sheet. It is unbelievable. Schwartz started out co-publishing one of the first ever science fiction fan scenes called Time Traveler back in 1932, he founded a literary agency that represented folks like Ray Bradbury and H.P. Lovecraft and even helped organize the first World Science Fiction Convention back in 1939. This is before comics. That is some nerdy shit right there. I mean, you, you, hey, we, we had all the rules written for us. This guy wrote the rules, man. <sighs> this guy did the first science fiction convention. He ends up looking for work in 1944. I think now is a good point to uh, to point out that uh, Julius Schwartz, who was responsible for this reconjiguring of the Green Lantern mythos, uh, among his many ties to the science fiction world, including organizing conventions and fanzines and stuff like that, was also a literary agent for a lot of burgeoning sci-fi authors, including a man named E.E. E. Doc Smith, um, who uh, gained popularity through a uh, short fiction series called The Lensman. The Lensman is a series about intergalactic cops <laughs> that fight a big war against evil using the brilliant light of a magical uh, technological flashlight lens that they use to fight evil. When I was first introduced to Jake, they referred to him as Jake piss on a man's legacy <laughs> I don't want to piss on all these legacies it's just <laughs> legacies by their nature are inflated and are just begging for a good pissing through the through the knowledge and time and research he brilliantly repurposed uh material used in a completely different format I think I hand it to him oh my all right God. he's like He's like the DJ Khalid of uh, science fiction. Ruh, 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 <laughs> remix. <laughs> he ends up, uh, so he ends up looking for work in 1944, and he just has a buddy that's just, uh, you know, happens to be at the time author of Green Lantern, Alfred Bester. Okay, one more thing. Oh, one of the titles of the Lensman in the Lensman series. Um, is called the Gray Lensman. All right, please. I mean, come up with what I, Green Lantern was written before, uh, well before Gray, the Gray Lensman. Anyways, I mean, actually, do. they they weren't. But well, what you know what I mean? I don't know what I mean. Okay, but uh, regardless, Legacy Pisser. That's what <laughs> your super villain name would be. I'm the Legacy Pisser. Ooh, I'm pissing on all these men's legacies. Holden, did you know that literally every American president was a piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> 
and owned slaves? Yes, absolutely. I didn't know that. Even uh, George W. I'm talking like Jimmy Carter owned slaves. I'm talking... Uh, so yeah, uh, Alfred Bester friends with this uh, Julius Schwartz guy. He's writing Green Lantern. Happens to be writing Green Lantern at the time. Uh, he gets Schwartz to uh, apply as an editor at All American Publications and gets the job. And in 1956, after the formation of the Comics Code Authority, he is tasked with reviving superheroes, starting with the Flash, which becomes a success. So then they say, "Hey, what hero would you like to do next?" And he said, "Green Lantern." That was a favorite of his from back in the day, always wanted to do something fun with him. So Hal Jordan's first appearance as Green Lantern was in Showcase number 22 in September of 1959. Of course, with Schwartz's sci-fi background um, and uh, has nothing to do with uh, any of these other things that uh, Jake has just talked about, he instilled in Lantern and all of the other characters of, uh, of the time a basis in science fiction and hard science. The writer for Silver Age Lantern was mainly John Broom, uh, and he did a lot of fun stuff with the character, uh, and uh, also with the, uh, doing fun stuff with the character was that redesign done by Gil Kane and Sid Green. Gil was in the uh, biz since he was just 16 years old, working at what is now referred to as Archie Comics. Before he did the redesign of Green Lantern, he worked as a ghost artist for Jack Kirby on Sandman Stories. After the war, he went back to D.C. and worked on Lantern and had intended to color him green and blue, but was shot down. He also intended for his costume to have a diamond shape on the torso. Don't get me started, Jay. Mm. I get it. I know. I know. I said the word diamond, but don't get me started. No, that was a different guy who ripped off a different guy. This is this is new. <laughs> Uh, uh, he wanted it to have a diamond shape, but if you go back and look, according to him, the early inkers made it look more like a sleeveless sweater, which very much so bugged him. And I do see that in a lot of those early designs of Lantern. Sid Green was an inker on a lot of horror, crime, and romance stories for DC and Marvel and was a regular inker for Lantern when he made his return. And I do, you know, they, they really set the... Set the gold standard for Lantern's look. It pretty much does not deviate too hard from that green and black um, look uh, that he has in those Silver Age comics. Absolutely sleek, absolutely space age, uh, nothing really referring to antiquity. These are like performance clothes. These are these are men of action able to soar through the sky to achieve their dreams. The Flash famously also had a big redesign about this time. Also sleek lines, bolder blocks of color, um, and just suited for the, you know, low quality print medium that uh, a lot of kind of more fiddly golden age designs look kind of terrible on the page. It's almost as if the costume was CGI'd on him. Oh, we'll get to that. I'm kidding. A little foreshadowing for you. Do you want to do you want to say anything about the Silver Age up until uh, before we get to Lantern gets woke in the 70s? So there's a lot of interesting things that go on. Um, John Broom is an interesting guy. He was the first person to try and unionize the DC bullpen at the time, and he made a lot of good progress until the effort fell apart. Um, His stories are kind of all over the place. Like I said earlier, uh, the ring's powers were basically limitless. He could do anything to anyone to the point of rearranging molecules of matter at will. Um, 
It's funny in the first uh, con, the first thing he constructs in Showcase is an ice pick to pop a tire. <laughs> He's mostly just like shooting beams, flying around, lassoing people with energy. Like the the idea of Green Lantern makes stuff with his ring is not even close to a real uh, core of his identity yet. There's a very funny scene in the second story in Showcase 22 where he's taken out by a gangster who throws a yellow lamp at him and bonks him on the head. (laughs) And he's just like, ah, right, yellow, shit. (laughs) But very quickly, where it's, it's, for all the idea of being grounded in sci-fi, there's just gonzo Silver Age nonsense. Mm -hmm. Uh, By issue nine of Green Lantern, we're introduced to Sinestro Mm. and his little circus clown outfit and his big fucking uh, purple Vincent Price head. And it seems like already the stories are all just built on Green Lantern is the guy who can do anything, but then some yellow bullshit happens. And then he has to think of a way around it. And it's always very weird. Like, Oh no, there's a yellow missile, uh, but the tip is red, so I'll just catch the tip. Or like, oh no, a yellow car is flying at me. Well, uh, I'll put springs beneath it, even though it shouldn't affect the yellow car, because if it's yellow, whatever, it's fine. Oh, I've been trapped in a yellow bubble. What can I do? I'll push the carbon dioxide from my breath into a concentrated gust of wind. Like, just all these ass pulls. Because he's so powerful. Um, a huge part of these stories is his relationship with uh, Carol Ferris, uh, the uh, now boss of Ferris Aircraft. Uh, in the first issue, her dad is uh, just like, I'm going to go on a trip around the world for two years. My daughter's in charge. Uh, sorry, Hal, if you were trying to mack on her. She's your boss now. Bye. <laughs> and there's so many uh, stories of him trying to hook up with her, but she's in love with Green Lantern. And he like uh, is, there's a lot, his dating life is a huge, huge, huge part of this story. That makes sense for Silver Age. But uh, it kind of continues on, he introduces a lot of things like the antimatter universe, uh, the Green Lantern Corps, characters like Tomar Ray, the Birdfish Man, Sinestro, uh, characters like Hector Hammond. But it's, it's pretty it's pretty standard except for the fact that the power set is just so gonzo and as much as I want to say hard sci-fi as much as I want it to be space age there's just so many stories where like I went to planet Bubulon where men are dogs and dogs are cats. <laughs> what a crazy story. I love and planet the cats Bubulon. are at war with the dogs and then now, P- planet Bubulon does socialize <laughs> by the way. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> And then I blew up a robot and everything was solved. Like, it always just comes down to there's a big dumb thing that Green Lantern has to blow up and solve the problem Uh of the dumb conceit planet. And Broom, actually, by the end of his run, up until, you know, this is from the 60s to the 70s, uh, ends up quitting comics. He's, like, very critical of a lot of his early work. He says that for such a fan of sci-fi... He's kind of disappointed in how his ability to write believable, grounded sci-fi was bad. And uh, DC, uh, by 1970, was ready to kind of kick out a lot of the old guard and hire younger, more hungry, cheaper talent. And those the, the legacy of the Silver Age 
even so, even stuff as basic as uh, the hand of creation and Krona and like the creation myth of the pre-crisis DC multiverse was part of uh, Broom's work. Like he had a really integral part of DC history. And it's just like kind of, it, he just kind of, you know, you can only tell the same stories for so long until you kind of run out of steam. And that's kind of what happened to him. Gil Kane went on to do amazing runs on Spider-Man. He stayed a part of the industry. Legendary artist, Gil Kane. We did not give him enough due. True. He deserves his own episode. He's totally, like totally. that legendary. And also the world around us changes, right? And by the 70s, DC, Marvel, they were all, again, telling the story of the evolution of comics. They're all looking at a lot of social change and a lot of things going on it ain't me it ain't me i ain't no senator son oh my god my hand ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 in the time of the season i gotta ooh, jump ooh, off ooh, the balcony ooh, of this hotel on new year's <laughs> eve you know what i mean it was a lot of that kind of shit all the leaves are brown 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 that's just jake and i's understanding of how that time you know, period felt. yeah you know the late 60s <laughs> times are changing um uh, so starting in 1970, uh, Schwartz, along with writer Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, of course, Neil Adams, I mean, classic uh, uh, artist for DC, took the comic in new, more socially conscious directions by having him team up, team up with Green Arrow, who also got a redesign. Green Arrow was a radicalist. So Lantern actually was the super square lawman that, you know, he wasn't like... He wasn't like right wing necessarily, but he just, he, you know, he's like Batman. He obeys the code of the law. He has rules and he follows them. Whereas Green Arrow is a lot more like, hey, let's let it loose. Let's kill that guy because he's mean. And, you know, and he's like, no, please don't do that. Green Arrow, I've got a stick up my ass. Um, so it's within, mm-hmm. for the record, within one, within their, we, issue 75 is the last one by Broom and Kane. And the next issue is Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. And within the first issue, uh, Green Lantern 76 is the now legendary in comic book circles uh, scene where a old black man walks right up to Green Lantern as Green Arrow watches on in agreement and just says, and I'm reading this verbatim because Denny O'Neill, landmark uh, contributor for elevating social issues within comics, a incredible, accomplished writer. Goddamn, he loves writing stereotypical black dialogue in his <laughs> comics. Um, this is this is famous. You, if you look up uh, Green Lantern, like seventies, you will see this panel. Uh, a elderly black man, incredibly well detailed drawings by Neil Adams. Just goes, I've been reading about you how you work for the blue skins and how on a planet someplace you helped out the orange skins. You've done considerable for the purple skins, only their skins you never bothered with. The black skins. I want to know how come. Answer me that, Mr. Green Lantern. And Hal Jordan, crestfallen, head sunken into his chest, just goes, I... I can't. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we're working with. They uh, go on a quest to, quote, find America, end quote, in an old pickup truck. Along the way, they encounter corruption, racism, pollution, and overpopulation in the nation at the time. One issue uh, in particular, uh, you might want to go back and check out, Arrow's ward, Speedy, <laughs> is revealed to be addicted to heroin. And in another uh, issue, they end up dealing with what many felt was an interpretation of the Manson family. So just a very completely different swing from what we were getting with uh, Green Lantern in the 60s. This was all an attempt to revive failing sales numbers, but alas, the jig was up Wait, for Lantern in 1972. Before we uh, wrap up this run, uh, another big important thing that happens is in Green Lantern issue 87, I'm sorry, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, I'm, I'm sorry, Green Lantern co-starring Green Arrow. Very weird that they <laughs> Please, have to add coast. They're just drawings. <laughs> you yeah. don't need anyone's permission. You didn't, it's not a huge get that you just drew a <laughs> fake man on paper. <laughs> Anyway, a a new character is introduced after Guy Gardner is injured by getting hit by a bus. Guy Gardner was introduced in the 60s in what was a kind of Elseworlds-like story where they reveal that Abin Sur actually found two worthy humans, but Hal Jordan was just the closest man available. And using uh, what if a majig computer technology, the Guardians show him, what would happen if uh, average high school gym teacher Guy Gardner got the ring and it shows him uh, beating up mobsters and calling them flabby because he was more of a fitness guy. He was like, a, he was all about physical fitness, Guy Gardner is. Uh, Guy Gardner then travels to space, fights a, a war between alien children who are using giant robots in a battle against each other. Uh, and then he returns with a alien space flu that turns his skin yellow, making him unable to cure himself with the ring, and he dies. Mm. And then Green, and then Hal Jordan just goes like, "Huh, that's neat," and just <laughs> moves on. But it establishes that uh, on Earth, if something were to happen to Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner would be next in line. Mm. In Green Lantern eighty-seven, Guy Gardner is hit by a bus, and a new reservist has to be chosen. And the Guardians of Oa choose a smart-talking, uh, inner-city, urban ghetto. They call it uh, the urban ghetto, a architect by the name of John Stewart, whose proof of courage shows him uh, stopping a cop from wrongfully arresting a friend of his for playing dominoes on the sidewalk. Green Lantern is uh, literally, the line is like, that's the man you want to trust with a power ring? Uh, and a big floating bald guardian. Did we mention the guardians are bunch are just tiny bald Jewish men who float in red robes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't, don't want to say they're all Jewish, but like they got big uh, Catskills energy. Hey, I, I, look, not as bad as the bankers <laughs> in Harry Potter. All right, at least it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not not as egregious as that. Uh, the guardian then says uh, he has all the due qualifications. We're not interested in your petty bigotries. And Green Lantern immediately has to go. Hey, that's not what I meant. I mean, uh, you know, he's just got a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> immediately, Green Lantern stops him. Uh, they drink milkshakes together. John Stewart is like, hey, from now on, you better call me Black Lantern. He's given a power ring and a suit, and they go off together. Uh, one of the first things uh, John Stewart does is pull a prank on a racist senator. Mm. It's really like Denny O'Neill having fun with his politics. And uh, even though John Stewart uses a lot of like 
I don't want just like seventies white guy trying to write jive talk like dialogue. Right. He's definitely charismatic. He doesn't take himself so seriously. He's a good foil for John Stewart. He's really a lovable character in this book, and um, it's nice seeing him kind of like use cosmic power while having fun. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of neat. Um, but he's introduced, and it's and he says, uh, you know, at the end of the issue. Whether no, whether or not, no man can say. But rest assured, Green Lantern John Stewart will return. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited two percent cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and two percent cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited two percent cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today so i think in the 80s the most interesting development has to be alan moore's take on green lantern alan moore literally does three green lantern stories total Mm. uh and they end up essentially i think being the reason why we get so much good green lantern stuff years later in the modern era and up to today uh, that's how much of an effect these three stories from Alan Moore had on uh, on the Lantern mythos, on on the evolution of, of Lantern in the comics. And I'll give you the reasons why. Um, so uh, uh, this was in 1986, I believe. Maybe 80. Maybe Mogo doesn't socialize. Was 85. That that's the first contribution. A short tale. Mogo doesn't socialize. If if you're familiar with Lantern, you may have heard that title. Uh, before this uh, essentially has a princess bride style framing device. Uh, a Lantern Corps elder is talking to a student about the many various Green Lanterns that can be found in the universe, including one named Mogo, who does not socialize. For the record, uh, the student in this book is named Arisia, which is the name of the magical race that is the leaders of the Lensmen mm. in the original books. Which wow. I, so I think that's Alan Moore doing a little dig that's at Julie funny. Schwartz, being like, "I know, I know what you did, you 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 fucking thieving bastard. <laughs> I, I know your little secret. Uh, yeah. Also, do you have any clumps of moss I can eat? Yeah. I eat moss we from the say, bogs. Check out the Alan Moore episode we did for more on him. I'm not going to get into Alan Moore, and we did a whole episode. So just check that out. A brilliant comics writer, obviously, and had like this golden touch, this Midas touch when it came to uh, DC Comics back in the 80s. So this comic, guys, should we spoil it? I mean, essentially, it tells the story of a warlord that goes to Mogo's planet, only to find in horror that Mogo is the planet itself. That's why he doesn't socialize. He's a whole planet. It's just multiple pages of this badass just like rampaging through forests being yeah. like, God damn it, where is this supposed mightiest Green Lantern? And then he maps out the forest that he's been stalking around in, realizes it's the shape of a giant Green Lantern emblem, and he flies away and you see the planet itself in a thicket of wood 
is has a giant Green Lantern uniform. It kind of sounds like the type of story Broom regrets he never <laughs> could tell. Yeah. Like this brilliant sci-fi story. It also just happens to kind of blow the doors off of what a Green Lantern can be. Something that is fodder to be played with for years to come by different writers and artists. Uh, but the next story is probably the most important. The next one he does called Tigers with a Y uh, in 1986. Uh, because this gives A, more of a backstory to Abe and Sir. One of the things you have to realize, like, Green Lanterns can fly through space. Why is this one Green Lantern alien in a spaceship? And Alan Moore actually answers that question. There was a prophecy that said that was said that he would um, be uh, destroyed. I believe the ring would run out of power on him, mm. and he would be destroyed in that way. So he's flying around a spaceship to try to avoid that happening to him. Doesn't really work out for him. Uh, Aben Sur, again, is that alien that crash lands on Earth and ends up giving Hal Jordan his, his ring, lantern, and abilities. And uh, so it explains to be how he how that came to be, but also it introduces a prophecy. A prophecy that would stand as the basis for the run Blackest Night, one of the most famous Green Lantern runs in comics. Um, and uh, that's that was in uh, way later in 2009. There's a mention of a Superman-like ultimate Green Lantern named Sodom Yat, and the enemies of the Green Lantern Corps, the prophecy of them joining forces to try and destroy the Green Lanterns. Uh, it is just just this little tale that profoundly impacts the entire future of Green Lantern comics that many writers are, to the point where Alan Moore like like made a lot of like shitty comments about how it's like how, like uh, everyone's just taking my shit and and using it for their own good and like no one can come up with an original idea but it's kind of true i mean they really it really had such a profound impact on uh, Lantern Comics for years to come. The last story he did in Blackest Night, um, interestingly enough, uh, check out our Fables episode. He did that story with Fables writer Bill Willingham, who served as just an artist at the time. And uh, that is uh, about a Green Lantern named Katma Tui traveling to recruit a creature to the core, only to find that the creature cannot recite the oath in order to join because the creature is blind and does not understand concepts like green or lantern or light again a brilliant sci-fi tale that delves in higher concepts than just good versus evil or courage versus fear you know just a brilliant brilliant story probably less of an impact than the other ones but uh the other two he wrote but still alan moore's uh incredible writing it's undeniable uh, it's on it on its own level and uh definitely probably the most fascinating thing to happen through that uh era of the 80s Getting to the modern age, I want to talk about Emerald Dawn. I think that would be the next really fascinating comic story for Green Lantern. And again, let's tell the story of the evolution of comics. Now we're moving up to the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and every superhero is taking a dark turn. We're mm-hmm. talking death of Superman. We're talking rise of the collection fanaticism around comic books, right? This is this is that time where you had variant covers and hologram bullshits on, on the covers of comics and all these different things that made people, you know, issue zeros and all this stuff that people had to run out and felt they, they were going to be future 
uh, millionaires or at least thousandaires based on them going out to the store and getting a comic uh, that was uh, considered rare at the time. Because finally, people were realizing Superman number one is worth a lot of money uh, and comics aren't just cheap bullshit that are going to go away in the next decade. So uh, they needed to figure out something for Green Lantern that was going to be like a big swing, a big dark turn. And Keith Giffen and Gerard Jones's Emerald Dawn that would show us a more humanized Hal Jordan character and develops his relationship with his nemesis Sinestro, which makes Sinestro Jordan's teacher at the core before he was cast out, after which he constructed the Yellow Ring, which is based in fear as opposed to the Green One's courage. But it also tells the story of, uh, I guess, actually, no, Emerald Dawn was that. Emerald Twilight is the one in which Hal Jordan ends up going rogue. Hal Jordan's uh, beloved hometown is destroyed. All of his loved ones are killed. Even as as a kid, reading, I literally picked, my dad picked up every issue of the Reign of the Superman storyline that was like four books a month. I devoured them. I thought this was the craziest thing. The of death of Superman was the biggest deal it was a steel for one comic books and at the height of it. Yeah. Lady, right? And uh <laughs> there was uh there was the uh the Eradicator, mm-hmm. which had the yellow sunglasses. There was Leather Jacket Superboy. Yep. There was John Henry Irons, the black one. Yep. And then there was uh the cyborg superman. The cyborg. And it one. turns yeah, yeah. out the cyborg superman was evil <laughs> and he built a big uh war machine uh, with the alien tyrant Mongol, <laughs> and they destroyed Coast City uh, while Hal Jordan was off-world. And even as a kid, I was like, man, that sucks for Green Lantern that his hometown got completely obliterated in not even his own book. <laughs> I feel bad. Like, that's gotta suck. Indeed, like, it's in someone else's... Like, the most horrible thing that has ever happened to you in your entire life is just a side note in someone else's cool resurrection story. So Hal, in an effort to bring back his hometown, he goes rogue, he destroys the Green Lantern Corps, and eventually transforms into the evil Parallax, leading to the creation of a new Lantern hero. So a similar ish to Death of Superman, but again, instead he goes evil. He, he, flips out and, and it's just this crazy turn for a, a lantern story it was very controversial at the time he on page kills one of the most beloved members of the green lantern corps kilowog uh famous for his uh catchphrase uh poozer which is his uh, hilarious name for uh rookies and idiots uh it's just a giant departure like it kind of comes out and like green lantern was a troubled character to write for he'd kind of Ended up on this weird soap opera circuit where just because his powers were so great, he needed all these personal tragedies to, like, be interesting. They replaced him for large chunks of time at random with uh, in the 80s with Jon Stewart and Guy Gardner. Like, it just feels like every time writers would hit a wall with this character, they'd, like, switch him out for a little bit and the fans would demand that he come back because even if he couldn't sustain his own book, he was still, like, the de facto Green Lantern in most kids' mind. He was the Green Lantern in all the comics in the 60s and 70s. He was the Green Lantern on the Super Friends. He was like, it was just, it always felt wrong seeing the name Green Lantern and not seeing Hal Jordan, but it just like couldn't sustain itself and hungry for that big, uh, that big, you know, image comics extreme payoff. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to purge all this insane space lore that bogged him down. They wanted to purge all this personal baggage. And 
the thing that they decided to do was uh, good old Ron Mars was like, what if he just went fucking crazy and fucking murdered everybody? That way, when we start fresh with a new Green Lantern, he'll be the only one. And that'll be like, and that'll say, you know, be where all the Green Lanterns went. And so the last surviving guardian named Ganthet finds uh, not the bravest guy, but just some guy, semi-employed artist Kyle Rayner to be the new Green Lantern. He's given a cool new outfit with a cool, I want to say almost anime inspired mask, a cool black and white costume with like big thick gauntlets. And he's a little uh, unsure of himself. He kind of uh, still has fear in him. He's learning the ropes and doesn't feel worthy to fight alongside such big time heroes as the Flash and Superman. Um, And he's part of that like cool new generation of characters for like pretty much, hmm, I don't know, uh, at least a decade at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the oh, also just in case people are like, because people kept saying so. When's uh, when's Hal Jordan coming back? When's Hal Jordan coming back? When's Hal Jordan coming back? They literally made Hal Jordan the big baddie in a universe-wide event called Zero Hour that I remember where it was like just like a super, a super, like just a big heel turn for Hal Jordan to the point where Green Arrow himself has to kill him by shooting an arrow through Hal Jordan's chest. Like they wanted him gone. So then throughout the 2000s, we don't get a ton of big, big, uh, specifically important or specifically interesting stuff per se, uh, except for Blackest Night, right? Blackest Night's the biggest, the biggest turn. Kyle Rayner does a good job on Grant Morrison's Justice League run. He kind of makes a name for himself there. Those are, there's a lot of good stories where Kyle Rayner gets to like be his own guy and fit in with the rest of the DC canon there. Just, you know, that's like a highlight for if you're looking for Kyle Rayner stuff. Uh, but yes, if you want if you want that uh, specific uh, Green Lantern great arc in the 2000s, it would definitely be 2009's Blackest Night, written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Ivan Reese. Shortly after this run, Jeff Johns becomes the COO of DC Entertainment and was producer on the Green Lantern film in 2011, uh, which we will get to in just a second, as well as stuff like the 2016 Suicide Squad, while also putting out some really solid offerings. He was producer on that Wonder Woman movie, the for the first one to bring her back, and uh, d- uh, as well as Shazam, which is fantastic. Regardless, this comic centers around the Black Lantern Corps, led by Necron, a uh, personified force of death that brings heroes back from the dead in an attempt to eliminate all life and emotion from the universe. Uh, this was followed by a run called Brightest Day, which gets into the aftermath of the events of Blackest Night, but hey, if you want zombie Batman, you're going to get it in Blackest Night. It's pretty cool, man. It's, it's a really neat big just big comic book event if you want one of those definitely check out blackest Night. jeff john's run on green lantern is legendary they he did so many things where at the, i think at this point in the universe uh before jeff john showed up they made hal jordan the specter which is like a weird spooky spirit character that is like also has his own janky backstory but Jeff Johns took everything that came before it and pretty much just fixed Green Lantern. Uh, He didn't kill all of his friends and try and erase the universe. Uh, It was Parallax, a big spooky space bug that was the source of the original yellow impurity that was mentioned all those years ago in the 1960s as the reason why there's a weakness against yellow stuff in the Green Lantern's power. Um... He introduces the Sinestro Corps and the idea that every emotion 
can have its own lantern yeah. core and energy. Right. They introduce uh, characters like Larflees and the big spooky uh, red cat that vomits blood named like Daxstar or something. I forget. <laughs> but all like he basically does what a lot of uh, characters struggled, a lot of writers struggle to do, which is how do we keep this grounded fighter pilot guy contained when his power is so great? The answer is keep him, give him this whole own universe of characters and plots and, uh, you know, political agendas and alliances to deal with. Give space for uh, classic characters like Guy Gardner and Jon Stewart to, uh, and even Kyle Rayner gets a power bump as Ion and gets to do important stuff on his own. There's like, it actually takes this larger than life universe built up for all these decades and has fun with it and expands on it. And uh, it really does just elevate this character to top tier. It basically turns Hal Jordan from a weird footnote to one of the primary characters in the DC universe. It sells like gangbusters and cements Jeff John's legacy as a uh, creative writer in the comics. It's really an accomplishment. Now let's jump to 2011. And let's talk about that movie, um, a uh, segment I have written down here as, what happened? So in 2008, Marvel wins. They crack the code and uh, nail Iron Man with its irreverent tone, promises of cross-universe tie-ins, and charismatic leading man carrying a lot of the movie. They make, you know, they fix a lot of the mistakes that uh, previous bungles, your cat women, your daredevils, your <laughs> Superman threes, you know, all these, everything that made superhero movies bad, they kind of fixed yeah. and made all the money in the world. And DC, uh, hot off the heels of their Dark Knight successes, wants a bit of that action. Now, I will note the development for a Green Lantern film started as early as 1997, Weird twists and turns during that time. Quentin Tarantino was offered the job to write and direct. In 2004, comedy writer legend Robert Smigel completed a script with Jack Black set to take the leading role. Just very bizarre uh, Hollywood development stuff. Um, but yes, it really gets going in 2008. The team that wrote the script was Greg Berlanti, who uh, is super responsible for all those big superhero uh, IPs such as Dawson's Creek <laughs> and the Riverdale show um, that is super popular now. Uh, he was uh, initially set to direct along with comics, film, and TV writers Michael Green, who would go on to write Logan later on, and Mark Guggenheim, who uh, wrote on the show Arrow. Berlanti is reassigned to a different film, so Martin Campbell replaces him. He is this big-time Hollywood director, did Goldeneye, and then again brought James Bond back into huge popularity with Casino Royale. You know, AAA director type of dude who's also known for, like, reinvigorating film properties, so... One would think he'd be great for the job. From here, we get into just a ton of studio interference. Of course, with the pressure of creating an, an Iron Man, along with the um, also the, the pressure of following up on the great success of The Dark Knight, immediately always when this kind of... this kind of pressure cooker happens in a studio situation, the execs get way too involved. And that's what it sounds like happened here. Martin Campbell was very, very frustrated through the process. He wanted Bradley Cooper for the role of Hal Jordan uh, to start, and the studio insisted it, it be Ryan Reynolds. It really feels like, in this story, Campbell wanted to make one of those old-school 1990s, tone-deaf, weirdly self-serious 
superhero movies. That uh-huh. was his vision. That was the script he uh, like agreed to. He was an older school guy, and he did not gel with what the studio wanted, and even what Ryan Reynolds, who eventually got the part of Hal Jordan, uh, wanted. Yeah. And so there's stories of tons of uh, backstabbing, edits being done behind the scenes, on-set disagreements, last-minute script rewrites, reshoots. It seems really tumultuous, and the movie that results does feel all over the place. Yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that that the clashes between the lead actor and the director were a big part of it. The studio also, uh, you always know it's fucked when the studio takes away final cut from the director. There were a ton of reshoots that were done, like way late in the game. Uh, and also, man, talk about just swinging for the fences here uh, by the studios, uh, uh, by the by the executives. They did a total last minute switch to a 3D format, and everybody knows the best 3D films, those that uh, which good, became good this incredibly successful, yeah, are, are always when you retcon your movie and add th- dumb 3D bullshit to it. Completely randomly. Some of my worst uh, cinematic experiences are watching movies with post-production 3D. It ruins the movie. Besides Ryan Reynolds, who, God, listen, as one of those fucking ain't it cool news nerds who like went to old ass movie websites excitedly every time there was a Comic-Con, the footage of Ryan Reynolds on like the stage at whatever con panel thing at comic-con that he was at reciting the oath i almost cried i was like it's finally gonna happen (laughs) all those kids laughed at me when i said green lantern was the coolest (laughs) but now it's gonna be even bigger than iron man there's that grown adult man get him (laughs) no (laughs) uh yeah uh the other thing too would probably be just the absurd amount of cgi um, and most especially the CGI'd uh, costume on Ryan Reynolds was just a bizarre That was supposedly Campbell. Choice. Campbell hated all the camera tests for traditional superhero costumes, which or even the stuff that they tried to do, like kind of an alternative, more modern costume, which uh, movies like X-Men kind of revolutionized. The idea that a superhero can wear just like a, some leather or some like something besides skin tight spandex. He was like, no, it has to be like something otherworldly, something people haven't seen before. Uh, and it the effect was not done well. Ryan Reynolds famously was like, why did I bother even getting in shape if you're just going to replace my body with a CG double? And in Deadpool, literally just looking to the camera in Deadpool and being like, make sure my costume isn't green or uh, CG. Like... <laughs> It's a famous blunder. Yeah. Oddly enough, a young Taika Waititi is in the movie yes. as uh, Thomas Kolmaku, uh, who was a character originally created by John Broom and Gil Kane in the Silver Age. Uh, many people uh, point at this character due to his unfortunate uh, beloved nickname in the series, Pie Face, um, which many thought was a racist reference to Eskimo Pie because the character was Inuit. I will say revisiting those Silver Age comics, I was expecting like some real short round style, like dumb dialogue from him. But the broom really did. Honest to God, Pieface was like a dignified and like well-written character with a rich family life and expertise. And he was respected by uh, Hal Jordan. Like the, according to the Wikipedia article, the term Pieface is not a racist uh, epithet, 
but in fact, in the 1960s was just used to refer to anybody with a round face and a had a perpetual kind of blank expression. Hmm. Who knew? Uh, yeah, they even make a joke, I believe, in, um, f- uh, what's his name, Free Guy? What's yeah. the name of the more recent movie they're in? Yeah, about it. Um, uh, ta- uh, saying they don't remember the movie or something, <laughs> or they, they've never heard of a Green Lantern movie uh, as a reference to that. There, there's like, we, hilariously, because of how meta um, Ryan Reynolds' like Deathstroke character ha- became, like, there's all these like shitty re- or bashy references to Green Lantern. I will say, we watched it uh, actually for our Sunday study group, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. And I think we found we were, I think we were expecting more of a Catwoman. And it wasn't as bad as I think it is remembered, right, Jake? It's not good, but it, there's some okay parts to it, and it's not just horrible. It's not just like cringe, 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 you know? Specifically, I think the weak point of the, of the movie is, unfortunately, Peter Sarsgaard's uh, Hector Hammond. The man is acting like he is in a incel Greek tragedy. He is shrieking and shaking and shuddering, and he is just genuinely unpleasant yeah. to engage with. At every his character design is monstrous. Yeah, it's once just he turns, gets full of evil juice. Gave me nothing but trouble vibes. It's just like, ugh, it just makes you like grossed out. Every time you see him, he's mm-hmm. grosser and grosser, like some Cronenberg body horror thing. It just feels out of place for a superhero movie. It just doesn't. It doesn't it, work. Yeah, uh, they really bog down the story trying to keep him related to Blake Lively's Carol Ferris and Ryan Reynolds' Hal Jordan, because again, I honestly think Campbell is still working from this old school kind of um, old school superhero movie kind of thing, where they really want to make sure that you understand that, like. They're dark mirrors of each other and the same power that, uh, you know, because they, they're they linking the two together. They make his powers from Parallax, who uh, also I believe the addition of Parallax was uh, kind of a late stage addition because they were going to tie in more to the modern comics. Again, this thing was in production for so long and the strongest bits of the movie are kind of, uh, a lot of it was done in reshoots where we have uh, Jeffrey Rush doing the voice of Tomar Ray and Michael Clark Duncan doing the voice of Kilowog and they're just having fun with the Green Lantern lore and you get to see Ryan Reynolds just kind of be Ryan Reynolds. Uh, another huge strong point is Mark Strong as Sinestro. Mm-hmm. Such presence, such powerful villain vibes. Incredible to the point where, again, it makes Sarsgaard look so bad as Hector Hammond and his boohoo backstory of my daddy's a senator and he doesn't love me enough. It's just gross. And it really it ends with a big, dumb CGI fight that just isn't compelling. And the moments of levity done on like pretty bare sets with like one or two characters trying to quip it up. You can tell where the reshoots happened just to try and like make it Iron Man when the core, that's just the spine of the movie is just a bad 90s uh, superhero movie that just wasn't what people wanted anymore. So there was a Green Lantern 2 in the works before the movie was released, but of course that all went to shit when it came out and bombed. There has been talk of a reboot movie since 2015 titled Green Lantern Corps, which would feature Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart doing a, quote, lethal weapon in space 
type movie, which honestly, I could be down for it. I hope I hope they get some together. Also, there is reportedly a 10 episode TV series in the works for HBO Max. I would love to see Green Lantern make a return to the DCU. I think the time is ripe for it. I think that's my biggest like conclusion to the research of today's episode. Yeah, sure. They bungled it. Enough time has passed. There's so much interesting shit you could do. Just do Blackest Night. Just do anything. Emerald Twilight. Like, I don't know. There's so many great little stories that you could pull from, I think, and make an awesome Green Lantern movie. Just DCU, please stop worrying about trying to do the MCU treatment of creating this like wild franchise Avengers Infinity War type concept and just tell a really good Green Lantern story. There's so many out there, I think. Some other, oh wait, some other things I just want to point out is um, uh, Dwayne McDuffie uh, did an amazing job of uh, kind of bringing Jon Stewart into popular uh, awareness with his uh, the way he wrote him in the Justice League cartoon and Justice League Unlimited. His love story with Hawkgirl is maybe one of the most heart-wrenching pieces of superhero animation ever put to uh, TV. They lean more into uh, his background as a Marine and his kind of uh, sense of duty and his ability to get the job done. And it really kind of changed... Uh, uh, John Stewart from the kind of like sassy man of the people to what uh, we mostly know him now as he was uh, Guy Gardner appeared in Batman Brave and the Bold and had a lot of fun with that character. Guy Gardner had his own weird ass side stories in the 90s where he like mm. was this anti-hero guy that had Vulgarian gun powers and they <laughs> the only thing left of that legacy is the bar he runs on Oa is still called Warrior which uh, was the name of his spinoff series, Guy Gardner Warrior. There was a Green Lantern animated series on Cartoon Network that I did. I was not able to watch uh, this time around, but I heard it was amazing. Apparently, it was canceled too soon because it just didn't sell enough action figures. But I really want to revisit it because a lot of hardcore Green Lantern fans have reached out to us and really recommended it. So I feel kind of kind of bad about that. Apparently, he fights Atrocitus of the Red Lantern Corps. There was also a terrible tie-in video game called uh, Green Lantern Rise of the Manhunters. Yes. I played it on stream. It was, uh, what if God of War had Ryan Reynolds quipping in between each fight segment? <laughs> if that's what you want, load up your PS3, buddy. And as we close out, I just wanted to let you know about some recommended comic runs uh, or even single issue stories that are really great in the Lantern history. Uh, we already mentioned it, but just... Uh, definitely on this list is Blackest Night. Also, that Emerald Twilight where uh, story where Green Lantern goes, how Jordan goes AWOL uh, after the destruction of his home city. Definitely check that out. Then there's 4321. This takes place around the crisis on Infinite Earth's plotline. We end up seeing Sinestro and Jon Stewart go toe-to-toe with Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner. Uh, the Green Lantern Green Arrow two-parter about Speedy's heroin addiction is titled Snowbirds Don't Fly and They Say It'll Kill Me but they won't say when. Uh, it is definitely dated like all that other stuff from the 70s, but a very interesting swing on DC's part, led by Denny O'Neill and Neil uh, Adams. 
Just pick up the uh, also yeah for the Alan Moore stuff. Just pick up DC Universe: The Stories of Alan Moore for all those great Alan Moore Lantern stories, as well as other fantastic stuff like the Superman story. Whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? I have it. It's awesome. You get some Swamp Thing in there. You get a bunch. Just it's great. Definitely check that out. It's a wonderful collection of of Alan Moore um, uh, DC stories. If you want some good stuff on the Green Lantern Corps and uh, Green Lantern's nemesis Sinestro, check out the Sinestro Corps war that uh that is i believe during um the run of oh god what's his name um that is during jeff johns jeff yeah that is during the jeff johns run and so you get some really good stuff there with the different factions and all that good stuff and lastly the one i loved reading this week earth one volume one it's a sort of 2001 A Space Odyssey take on Lantern, uh, and uh, it has the Lantern Corps being mostly wiped out by the robotic Manhunters, and it's just this dark, isolated space story. Hal Jordan is, it's, he's like on his own, uh, uh, deeply unsettling. It's masterfully written and drawn. I mean, even if you just go look up like best Green Lantern, uh, comic stories like it almost seems unanimous every single list ends with number one earth one volume one check it out fantastic stuff all right jake i think that about covers it anything else before we uh do the promos and get out of here when uh recently uh dc kind of shuttled off a lot of the golden age versions of the characters uh into a series on uh, universe known as earth two and they retcon Alan Scott to being a gay man in the 1940s in the 80th anniversary special that uh, came out, I think, last year. Uh, they tell a really heartfelt story where Alan Scott uh, says that, you know, um, the light within himself that he was too scared to hide. That was, uh, you know, it's they make a nice allegory to like the Green Lantern's light and being true to yourself. And uh, they reveal that the train accident that uh, led to his discovery of the Green Lantern. He was actually on a trip with his lover at the time, and that he was, and that's that he died on that in that accident. And so it all kind of like gives a little bit of depth and a little bit of uh, interesting backstory to a character that you know kind of needed a little bit of a reboot. Besides that weird old Green Lantern that's different from the other Green Lanterns. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us for our episode on Green Lantern. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Every single week, bonus content. We do the Wizard and the Newser on there. We talk about current events, things going on uh, more uh, in the now, and also talk about all the stuff we're playing, watching, reading uh, that is outside of these episodes and doing the research for these. Check it out, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also, uh, check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. Always a blast to see you guys come in and say what's up from the Whizbrew family. Uh, thanks again, everyone, uh, for doing that and for your continued support. And I believe a puppet now will promote his YouTube channel. Jake! Uh, ever since we did our episode on VTubers, I've been fascinated with that world. And so now I am str- on the streaming boat as well. Go to YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared, uh, where I mostly... Uh, Engage with a lot of stuff we cover on the show. I've been playing some old school RuneScape. On Thursdays, we do the Cartoon Dumpster, where we look into the uh, animated TV shows that time and, more importantly, copyright ID technology has forgotten. 
uh, and we make fun of them and enjoy them in due measure. Uh, if you're a fan of the show, I think you'd be a fan of what I do over there at youtube.com slash puppet Jared. Come on, say hi. Hey, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. Green Lantern's Light! This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.